What's up, everybody? I'm Tim. Um, and if you're a guest here, I am one of the elders here, and I serve on staff as the lead pastor. And Ray, I'm sorry, I'm going to step on some of your stuff, bro. Uh, I'm just going to stand right here. Um, if you're new, the restroom, uh, since we have the double doors closed, is around the left. So um, you can go in that way, the white door. Uh, thanks for wearing your masks. We do have people that are in some at-risk, high-risk categories. So thanks. We're trying to do our best to follow the CDC's uh, requests. And uh, things are pointing in the right direction. We got word this week we're going to have a football season. So we're going to get five games. Praise God. So I'm really happy, mainly for the seniors, just because they put so much of their life in. They get to do that. So I'm, what a blessing. Um, if you're with us today and you want to follow along, I'm going to jump around quite a bit in the scriptures because it's a little bit of a different flow than our usual sermon. We've got a friend here with us from Safe Families. And um, so I'm going to tee her up a bit and then she's going to take the last uh, 15 minutes or so of our time together. But um, as I'm going through today, yeah, so if you have your Bible app, that might help because I loaded them all in. I always do that on Saturdays if you open up your Bible app or... Um, if you have your physical Bible, there's a bunch in the back of the chairs in front of you. We tried to spread them out last week so you'd all have one accessible. You can follow along that way. But uh, I'm going to pray and then just jump into this thing. So, uh, Father, thanks for your love for us. Thanks that when we come, like Ray says, I love that he says it every week. When we draw near to you, you draw near to us. And uh, what a great promise that is, that we don't have to wonder. We just know. We, we can, by faith, just know that you're, you're the one that pursues and loves. So we just ask that uh, you'd speak to all of us today, whatever it is that you're wanting to, to implant in our hearts. I pray that would happen today and that that would lead to intimacy with you and it would lead to love and health in our relationships and in the world that you've placed us in purposefully. So we ask for you to do your work today and we put our hope in you this morning alone. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to start by reading you guys a story. So I'm going to put on my, I'm going to do a little bit of my dad voice, nighttime routine with my kids and, and share you a little story to start it off. All right, everybody ready? There was once a wounded eaglet who was rescued by a kind farmer. The farmer found the eaglet in one of his fields and he felt sorry for him. So he took him home and tended to his wounds. And then he placed him outside in the barnyard to recover. The eaglet, which is a baby eagle, by the way, soon adapted to the habits of all the barnyard chickens. He learned to walk and cluck like the chickens. He learned to drink from a trough and peck the dirt for food. And for many years, the eaglet peacefully resigned himself to this new life on the farm. Time passed, and the eaglet grew up to become a beautiful eagle. But then one day, one of the farmer's friends spotted the eagle in his barn and asked, why in the world is that eagle acting like a chicken? And the farmer told him what happened. Yet the friend could hardly accept the situation. Confused by this, he said, this is just not right. The almighty creator made eagles to be able to soar in the sky, not scavenge in a barnyard. So he picked up the unsuspecting eagle climbed onto a nearby fence post and tossed the eagle up into the air. But the confused eagle just flapped its wings and fell back to the earth boom, and scurried off in search of his feathered friends. The friend then grabbed the eagle again and climbed on top of the barn. And as he heaved him off the roof, 
the eagle made a few half-hearted squawks and flaps before falling into a bale of hay. After shaking its head a few times, the eagle then made himself comfortable and began mindlessly pecking at the pieces of straw. The farmer's friend went home that night dejected. He could barely sleep as he remembered the sight of those powerful talons caked with barnyard mud. He could not bear the thought, so the very next day, he headed back to the farm for another try. This time, he carried the eagle to the top of a nearby mountain where the sky unfolded in a limitless horizon. Determined, he looked into the eagle's eyes and cried out, Don't you understand? You were were not made to live like a chicken. Why would you want to stay down here when you were born for the sky? As the man held the confused eagle aloft, he made sure the eagle was facing into the brilliant light of the sun. Then he powerfully heaved the bird into the sky. And this time, the eagle opened his wings, looked at the sun, caught the updraft rising from the valley, and disappeared out into the sky. Now, this is sort of a silly story, but it's a story about identity. It's, it's a story about how an eagle who was designed to soar above the sky found itself clucking around on the ground. Nothing against the uh, culture of chickens, uh, but that's not what the eagle was made for. There's no doubt that it was even eating food that its stomach probably couldn't digest very well. It was living a life it was never meant to live. Why do I tell you this is that all of us in many ways adapt the culture that we're in. Whether or not we were designed to live like that or not. All of us are being shaped right now by the culture that we're in. The biblical word for that would be we're being discipled by the culture that we're in. As Americans, we are shaped by a radical form of consumerism that's always teaching us to look for the next thing or to upgrade or to get more. We're also being shaped by a culture that is hyper-individualized. More, a social commentator say more than any culture that's ever been on the planet. Hyper-individualized. And the church, unfortunately, hasn't been immune from the cultural effects of our American identity or the world identity for that matter, as we become more and more of a global culture. You see, the things in our culture shape our businesses, they shape our families, and they also shape us as a church. And we can start to take on activities, behaviors, and even sometimes good things that were never intended or designed by God for us to be doing. We can fill our calendars even by good things, but as we all know, sometimes the good can be the enemy of the great. And so I I wanted to start this morning by asking you just to help me in some reflection because this morning is all about identity. It's about who we are as a church. And uh, I don't know if you guys have uh, kept track of the calendar and you probably haven't because it's personal to me, but do any of you know how long I've been the lead pastor here? I'm here in a year-ish. So yeah, in two weeks, uh, well, I'll hit a year. And just so you know, this is exactly how I planned this year to go, this last year. Um, I just, I had, this was all in my vision plan before, and so I've just been hitting on it. No, it's been, it's been crazy. I mean, look, I got a whiteboard that was half soaked in sun earlier and a camera that almost blew over. Uh, never done that before. So, um, 
but in the midst of that, I did have things that when I thought and prayed through, all right, God, are you calling me here? That I was like, okay, these are things that Jared and I had held together and said, this is who we want to be about as a church. And this is what it might look like. And as the elders we met and we prayed, right? these, these are things that we want to value. And one of those is, uh, is the fact that we have an identity that's been given to us by God. And I'm going to unpack that with you today. But the problem is in a COVID world in this last year, it made so many of these things almost impossible to live from. I mean, God did not design human beings to be socially isolated. Now, we did it because we love our neighbor and we're trying to stay safe, but it was, had devastating effects on not only our economics, but our social lives, our emotional lives. And so it affected the way that we gathered as a church and even things that I was, I didn't mention anything about life groups and the, or missional communities in the last year. Why? Because I just didn't know, I didn't want to encourage you to go do something that you either can't do legally or that would just put some of you in a bind of thinking, oh, the pastor's telling me I should, so I'm going to. And so I said nothing. And, and I still, even today, I, I want to say up front, I don't even know yet when it's going to be okay to live life in the way, but, but that's not for me to decide. We'll, we'll keep praying and seeking God's will on that. And he'll make it clear when the time's right. But I want to start with, when you think of the word church, what comes to your mind? I was going to write them down, but I'm just going to go. You just, just shout them out, and I'll, um, I'll repeat whatever right here. So when you think of the church, how do you define church? What comes to your mind? Unity. Unity. Awesome. What else? Family. Family. I heard fellowship. Food. Food. Amen. People. Yeah, people. Amen. What did you say, Dan? God. That's good. I'm glad we got there. <laughs> Someone should say Jesus just so there's a formal Christian meeting. <laughs> Jesus, thanks, Chris. He's a doctor. He learned things like that. Huh? What else? The Bible, great. Prayer. Prayer. Service, yeah, great. Tithing. Tithing, giving, yeah, giving of our, our possessions, finances, resources, time. Outreach, great. Gathering, yeah, beautiful. Yeah, actually, the, the, the Greek word, the, the word that we get church from is a Greek word, ekklesia. It's, it's made of two Greek words, ek, which means out of, and kaleo, that means called, kaleo, like called. So called out of, that's actually the term for church in the New Testament, that we were called out of the world, out of sin, and to, we're called unto Jesus. So when we gather, it's not even so much that we gather together, all that's definitely implied, but it's that we're, we're together being called unto Jesus. Um, usually when you start talking about the church and we start to even do it naturally, we didn't not only talk about how we define it, but we also started to talk about things that the church does, right? We started getting gathering, Bible, things like that, serving. Those are, so, so those are actions that the church does, and we had some identity terms like family and some of those other things. And oftentimes when a, a conversation or a, a church eldership team or staff, they meet, they start uh, usually, because we're Americans and we're very action-oriented, we start planning like what we should do, right? Well, who are we and what, we, what should we do? But I would warn us and, and really any of you that that's probably not the best place to start. I would submit to you, just like in math, 
there's a order of operations for you to be able to solve the problem. If any of you guys remember that one or your kids are in those classes, there's the order of operations. Actually, the more complex the uh, equation is, the more, uh, the, more, the more critical that order of operations becomes. If you skip a step, things go sideways really fast. Uh, I hated statistics in college. It was terrible. But, but yeah, or algebra, the advanced levels. But just like in those things, there's an order of operations in the way that our lives are supposed to work. And if we're not careful, we usually work it backwards. And what I mean by that is in our world, when, when someone asks you who you are, oftentimes people start to share what they do for work. Or what, what the, but the thing is, we're not human doings. We're human beings. But we tend to, and the world tends to say and ask the question, what have you done for me lately? In other words, that your, your doing equals your being. And, and people look at how much money you make and where you live and all these things about you, and then they tell you who you are based on those things. And, and actually, Satan wants you to do that, by the way. Whether you believe in him or not, there's an enemy against your soul, and he wants you to look at the outside of your life and begin, begin to define yourself based on the doings that are either happening to you or what you do based on your activities. But the gospel has a different way of looking at life. If you've been with us long enough, you've heard a few of these things, but in the beginning when God creates human beings, it says that they're made in the image of God, the imago Dei, central for our understanding of who we are as human beings. That God made us in his image. And so if we're ever going to have a conversation about what we should be doing, or who we are, we have to start with two questions that supersede those in the order of operations. And those two questions are, if we're made in the image of God, then we need to know who is God and what has he done so that we can probably understand who we are. And then we can have a conversation about what we should do, both individually and as a church. So I'm going to draw a few things. I know some of you aren't going to be able to see this super well, but I'm going to say it out loud, but if you can see it, it's just one more added benefit. But I think it is helpful to be able to see this written out. And my hope, actually, and if you're one of our uh, life group leaders, you will already know where I'm going with this because we go over this almost every time we meet. And generally, we meet monthly, except COVID, obviously, threw that off as well. But there's, we call this the four questions, okay? The first question is, who is God? Right? I just said that. It's the starting point. Who is God? Second question. Does anybody know the second question? What has he done? There you go. Natalie remembers all this. Third question is, who are we? Great. Or who am I? And then the last question is, then how should we live? This is the flow of the gospel. Who is God? What has he done? Who are we in light of that? And now how should we live from that new identity? Scripture reveals God in three persons. I wouldn't have written it this way if it was me, but this is who God is. (laughs) You know, it's, it's the Trinitarian identity. From our statement of faith, it means this, that God has revealed himself to us as one God expressed in three persons. The eternal triune God reveals himself to us as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit with distinct personal attributes, but without division of nature, essence, or being. That's from our statement of faith. 
We see this displayed in Jesus' own baptism. When Jesus is baptized in Luke 3, one day the crowds were being baptized and Jesus himself was being baptized. And as he was praying, the heavens opened up and the Holy Spirit, so you've got Jesus being baptized, the Holy Spirit in bodily form descends on him like a dove and a voice from heaven, the Father's voice says, you are my dearly loved son and you bring me great joy. After Jesus rises from the dead, he was, lived the perfect life in our place, died the death we deserve, rose again, meets with his disciples. He gives them the great commission. What does he say to them? He says, Jesus told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, now go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in, name, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all that I've commanded you. And be sure of this, I am with you even to the end of the age. So we see the first answer to this question of who is God is it's, it's Trinitarian. It's that God is Father. God is also Son in Jesus Christ. And God is Holy Spirit. Paul writes to the Ephesian church, and he's speaking about the Father and all that Jesus has done and the work of the Holy Spirit. It's really beautiful, Ephesians 1. And he says this in Ephesians 1. He says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Verse 4. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son, and he forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. What has God done there? You can shout out a couple of them. What did you see God do in that? Yeah, he adopted us. What else? Forgave us. Yeah, he gave a lot. I, I wrote him out. He purchased us with the blood of Jesus. He freed us and forgave us of our sins. He showered us with kindness and wisdom and understanding. He adopted us into his family. And this adoption theme is central to the scriptures, to know who we are. Because in Romans 8, Paul says, and speaking of the Holy Spirit's role, he says, you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. That's not how your relationship with God's supposed to be. Not, you're not a fearful slave. He says, no, instead you receive God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. And now we call out Abba, which was a term of endearment like daddy. We call daddy father for the, his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we're going to share in his glory, we must also share in his sufferings. What has he done? Family, he has, he has adopted us and a whole bunch of other things. But he has adopted us. And because he has adopted us, that makes us what? His children. Now that's an individual term. You are God's child based on Jesus' work on your behalf. He has adopted you into his, his family. But what that makes us now communally is what? It makes us family. 
So individually, you're a child of God, and familiarly or corporately, we are a family. And now, as his family, we ask ourselves, how should we live? That is how we should live. It's not because it's a cool slogan to put on a church bulletin, but because it's who God is, what he's done, and how he's made us to be. You see the difference here? So now when we say, how should we gather? We say, well, if we're family, we should probably, someone said food. We should probably break bread together. That's what families do. We should probably have a crazy uncle in the room. And if you don't know who it is, it might be you. It's, as Jared used to say all the time, I love that. But we should also call out to him, Abba, Father, together and alone, that we would know that we have a God who's dad. And in the Great Commission that I read from you, Matthew 28, says, go to all nations. Actually, that's, that's ta ethne in Greek, which means all ethnicities. So it's not just a family. It's a family that looks like heaven's going to look one day in Revelation 7, which is going to be every tribe, tongue, and nation together in unity. That's something the world does not have to offer. But the church, it's its calling centrally. But it's not just the father. We're actually baptized in the name of the son. And we see what the Son's done for us all throughout the Gospels, but I'll read you a couple terms. In Matthew 20, 28, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. This is after James and John's mom comes and says, which one of them can sit next to you? And Jesus is like, man, you guys are missing it. He says in verse 26 of Matthew 20, among you it's going to be different. It's not going to be like the rulers of the world that lorded over people. No, among you it's going to be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be a servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must be a slave or become a slave to the others. For even the Son of Man, speaking of himself, came not to be served, but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many. One of the last times Jesus addressed his disciples, it's at the Last Supper, and he eats with them, and he he gets down on his knees to wash their feet, and he says, do you understand what I was doing? He says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right because that's what I am. And since your Lord and teacher has washed your feet, now you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane most perfectly reflects what it looks like to be a servant because he says to the Father, not my will be done, but your will be done. He surrenders and serves even with his entire life. In Jesus' perfect life lived in our place, the death dying that we deserved and the resurrection. Jesus served us. What has Jesus the Son does? He has served us. He has laid his life down. You could, I could write laid his life down, but you get it. And because Jesus, God has come down to serve us, who are we now? We also have become made in his image. We are servants. Again, we don't serve because it's the morally correct thing to do, although that might be sufficient. We serve because it's who God made us to be. And so now what should we do? How should we live as such? We could spend a whole lot of time on what that might look like in our life, but that's something that we need to ask God. If you have made us a family of servants, not just servants individually, again, I need to keep calling us back to this familial thing because immediately we go back to, well, that means I must personally serve. It's like, no, yes, that's true, but and we also come together to serve the least of these and those amongst us because we're family. Jesus said the world will know you're my disciples by the love that you have for each other. But that's not all. God comes and shows us who he is by his Holy Spirit. In Acts 1, Jesus is speaking to his disciples post-resurrection, and he says to them, 
while he's eating with them. In verse 4, he says, don't leave Jerusalem until the Father, this is Trinitarian thing again, Jesus speaking, it says, the Father is going to send you the gift that I promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And in verse 8, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The Spirit's going to come, and you're gonna make, he's going to make you my witnesses. And this actually happens in the very next chapter. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes on them, the day of Pentecost. They're all meeting. There's a sound like a roar and, and all that. And the, what look like flames or tongues of fire appear and settles on them. And then hear this, verse 4. Everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Now, at that time, verse 5, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. And when they heard the noise, everyone came running to see what's going on. They were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by these believers. These were intelligible languages at this point. In verse 7, it says, completely amazed, the people said, how can this be? These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native language. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, all the way to Egypt and Libya. And they say in verse 11, and we all hear these people speaking in our languages about the wonderful things that God has done. And they stood there amazed and perplexed, and they asked each other, what can this mean? But the crowds ridiculed them and said they're all just drunk. That's all. You see, what has God done? The Holy Spirit has come and he has filled us. Filled us and sent us. What? When he comes to fill the missionary God, the pursuing God comes, fills, sends, changes, and he makes us his missionaries. Now, most people think of missionaries are people that go overseas, and that's also true. But uh, as I think John Bunyan once said, a Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Strong words. But we see when the Spirit comes, what happens? He gives people the ability to speak to others and so that they would hear the wonderful things that God has done. What is that? That's the gospel. That's them being awakened by a new power and presence in them by the Spirit that makes them witnesses of all the amazing things God has done. So what do we do if we're his missionaries, if we're the ones sent by the Spirit in everyday life, then we are to pursue as God has pursued us. Again, I leave these blank because these are the ones that God says to us. As we decide as just life group leaders all sit into our trainings every month, we're trying to figure out how do we as a family throughout the week not just show up and attend things together, but actually live like a family who serves as a family who's on mission together as a family. That is who we are as a church. The primary organizing structure of the body of Christ is not Sundays. It's you, the people, that gather together in everyday things of life as a family of servant missionaries, wherever God has sent us. This means that during COVID, church never stopped, regardless of we meet online or hear whatever else, because we are the church. That's why every week when you leave, we say, go be the church, because nothing can stop the church, because it's us, and it's God's spirit and power and presence in us going to the world, which means ta ethne to all people and ethnicities. There's nowhere God can't go if he's in us and through us. That's why Paul wrote in Galatians 2.20, it is not no longer I who lives, but it's Christ in me, Christ, the hope of glory. 
that he might bleed out through our lives, not just individually, but collectively, that we might love each other in the world in such a way that they might know who their father is, who their savior is, and who is the spirit that wants to come dwell and live through them. You see, I'm going to end with this point, is that many people and many churches don't necessarily make this a starting point. And I know if you're at this church, you've probably sacrificed a lot of things. We do not have a brand new gym or playground for your kids to play on. We don't have an LED screen behind the stage. We don't have upgraded monitors or that are in HD. We don't have bathrooms that have been updated in, um, since the earth's crust hardened. But anyways, we have, but we do have one thing that we're pursuing together, and that's gospel identity. If we're going to win, we want to win about the right things. And this is what, our, as elders, when we meet every month, we're talking about how do we live out these things. And here's, the, here's my, my close to you is some of you don't live this way. And I know for a long time no one ever showed me this. Like, Tim, this is who you are. Tim, this is who you are. You were meant to live like God's family, serving as Jesus has served you, on God's mission the way he pursued you. I just didn't know that. I thought I was supposed to come. I was supposed to give money. I volunteer here and there. And he's like, yeah, that's all good and well. But you, though, are, this is who you are. And here's the deal. If you don't live out of your true identity, you will experience disintegration. It breaks my heart to see Christians living a less than life because God, through Paul, writes in Ephesians 2.10 that you are God's masterpiece, created anew in Christ Jesus so you can do the things God planned for you long ago. I think every word of that's true, even this sweet little girl. A masterpiece created in Christ Jesus new so she and we can do the good things God planned for us long ago, Amen. And that is living out of our gospel identity. And if you haven't lived this way, if you haven't lived as the family of God, as his servants, on his mission, there is likely something deep inside of you that says there's got to be more. And I'm telling you, it is because you are made in God's image. And he intended for you to live to reflect who he is to the world. That we as the church would be a future foretaste a future foretaste of this heavenly kingdom that will come and may be made manifest to all. Now, sometimes you come across an organization that is helping the church be the church. That actually is uh, not just giving us new things to do, but is actually saying, no, no, I know who you are and I'm going to help you live into it. And that's what Safe Family is to me. Safe Families for Children is one of those organizations that comes alongside the church and actually helps us be the church. And so my friend Missy is here today. Can you come on up, Missy? And uh, Allie Ware was supposed to be up here with us. Allie and I have been on some calls with Missy from Safe Families, and um, Allie's aunt died tragically and um, out of the blue yesterday. So think of our sister Allie and be praying for her. Um, But Missy's with us, and what I wanted Missy to do this morning and we'll have some time afterwards in the sanctuary f- for more. But Safe Families is one of the most incredible ministries I've been exposed to. And one, the first time I ever heard about it, I said, this is one of the biggest no-brainers in church. And so, Missy, we'd just love for you to tell us about Safe Families and then just say, how do we, how do we live into this? Sure. Amen. Thanks for being here. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. Well, 
when I hear the word preach like that, it gets me really excited. So, and I talk really fast when I'm excited, so I'm going to try to slow down, take a breath. Um, but as Tim mentioned, my name is Missy. And just a little bit about me, I live in Escondido with my husband of four years. I grew up in Encinitas, so coming to the coast feels like home. Uh, so thanks so much for having me today. Um, I work um, for Olive Crest, and it's um, a child welfare organization. We have fostering, foster to adopt, and safe families for children. It's my joy because, as Tim mentioned, I get to help mobilize the church and community to live in their God-given identity to serve at risk in vulnerable children. Um, and it was because my parents did something for me that changed my life um, 29 years ago um, that makes me so um, attuned and woven into the vision of Olive Crest and Safe Families for Children. Uh, so I'm a church girl, uh, grew up in the church, and I got a degree in religion, so I'm going to go ahead and dive right into the word. Um, so in James 1.27, it says that religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So we have clear directives um, from the Bible to take care of orphans and widows in their distress. So the implications are clear to us. This is for all of us, for all of us that, have, that know Christ as Savior. The implication is very clear. I, our identity is secure. Um, but the applications for that is very broad. Like, what? how should we live? What do we do in light of that? Well, um, I want to share with you about Safe Families for Children. Uh, so Safe Families for Children provides short-term hostings to children whose families are experiencing crisis. Uh, so what does that look like exactly? Well, it looks like people in the church becoming host families, opening their homes to children, to loving them, to help them know that they are loved and secured and that they have a stable environment while their parents work out things that are going on, crisis situations. Maybe that looks like homelessness. Maybe that looks like uh, drug, drug rehabilitation. And that we get to step into their stories and open our homes to these children. And then... Uh, one story I'd like to share with you is about um, Rachel. Uh, Rachel has two beautiful little girls, four and six, uh, super tight curly hair, um, and they were just bundles of energy and joy, and their mom, Rachel, uh, was experiencing addiction. She had been addicted to drugs um, for years, and she decided there was a turning point in her life, and she decided that it was time for her to go to rehab. It was time for her to get clean for her two girls um, and to go to a 90-day program. And so a host family here in North County opened their home to these two beautiful little girls, and um, when the host mom went down to pick up the girls, um, the, the littlest jumped in the car. It was a minivan, right? And she jumped in her car, and she took a big whiff, and she went, oh, it smells so good in here. Is this where we're sleeping tonight? And on the way home, as they were driving, the host mom's heart continued to break as the little girls pointed, oh, I remember that part because we slept under the slide. Oh, I remember that place because that was the bench that we slept on. I think it was four nights. Oh, that was the um, shopping center that we slept behind um, for a week. And the host mom's heart continued to break as she learned their story um, and as she stepped into the hard and broken things that Christ has called us to do. Um, and I want to take a moment 
Um, because hearing those stories kind of, there's things that bubble up, right? Um, maybe you're angry about how a mom could put her children in those situations. Um, maybe you're sad for the little girls who've never known what a stable home looks like. Um, or maybe you're just bewildered that a family could open their home um, into strangers and to children that they don't know. I know for me, when I um, first met Rachel, I, I was new and I, some anger bubbled up. I was like, how does, how does this work? Well, um, working for All Press, I learned, and I want to provide some context for you. Um, every year, CPS, Child Protective Services, um, gets 50,000 phone calls just in San Diego County. So I want you to think what it might take for you to call CPS. You know, these are people who are pastors, they are teachers, um, these are people who are concerned, who have reason to believe that a child is experiencing abuse or neglect. They have credible reason to believe that there's a child who's not being taken care of, so they call CPS, right? Well, out of those 50,000 phone calls a year, 5,000 are then looked into. 5,000, the, um, the system steps in, the authorities step in, and they, t they take a look. They start interviewing. They start checking things out. Of that, only 1,100 receive services. So that doesn't mean that the 49,000 didn't need services. It just means that our system is overwhelmed. Our system cannot handle um, the crisis that's that San Diego is experiencing in our local neighborhoods. If you're a numbers person, that means 98% of the phone calls um, go on, um, they don't go help, they receive no help. And so I want to pose to you guys, what if generation was the church that stepped into the 98%? What if generation was the church that stepped in and said, we have the resources, we have the families, we have our larger church family that can step in and assist people and can assist families who are experiencing crisis in isolation. What if that was you guys? Um, so another story I'd like to share with you is about um, a woman named Raquel. Raquel was one of the um, first single mamas I met um, while working at Olive Crest. And um, Raquel um, had two children, and she had one on the way. And it was something about her third child that made her believe that it was time for her to get out of her situation, that she could leave the abuse that she and her children were experiencing behind and to start and rebuild a new life. So she, with her very pregnant belly and her two children, fled the South and ended up in a domestic violence shelter here in North County. And um, as she was there, she started to, well, she gave birth to a beautiful little girl, six weeks old, and she was starting to rebuild her life. Um, she, wa she was finding employment, she was looking for a stable home, and she landed a job with the local Salvation Army. And there was a three-day orientation, but she's here in a new town with in new surroundings with no networks of support, um, and she was in isolation. And so her domestic violence shelter referred her to Save Families for Children, and it was a church in North County that opened their homes to her beautiful three little children, a precious newborn, um, and another four and six-year-old um, children. And when the host family picked up um, these kiddos, um, they, the mom and dad were talking about something. I think they were figuring out um, the schedule for the night. And the little boy looked up and said, like, are you guys always this nice to each other? 
he had never seen what a functional relationship looked like, a relationship that was founded in Christ, two parents that loved one another, not because they were perfect, but because they had an identity secured in Christ. And so because of this host family, this mom was able to go and to go to the orientation, and she knew that there was a safe place for her children to stay um, while she secured employment. So some of you may be listening to this, and you're like, that's great. Host family sounds great for um, my friends over there. I can't host children. I don't, maybe you don't have this space, though we say anyone that has room at their table to pull up an extra chair has space for children. But maybe you're just not in that space of life. Well, there's a place for you in Safe Families for Children. There's a place for you in this ministry, and that's to become a family friend. Now, family friends wrap their arms around host families with burden-bearing love while children are hosted, because you see our average hosting day is 45 days. Sometimes it's three nights, sometimes it's 90 days, but the average is 45. And so these friends provide groceries. They say, you know what, host family, I'm going to provide you guys a meal every week on Tuesdays. Or they say, you know what, I'm going to go ahead, I'll drive the, the children to school every Wednesday so you can have the morning free to kind of get your bearings again. There's a place for you in this ministry, even if you can't open your home. Or maybe you're a champion. Maybe you're someone who just understands and loves to be um, surrounding those and supporting those with um, prayer or financial resources. We, I, don't, I truly believe that nothing of eternal significance happens apart from prayer. So maybe you're a prayer. Maybe you're the person that starts to pray for these children by name every day. Could you imagine what change could come about? And it, was through, and it was through prayer that the host mom really believes that Rachel, the mom I shared with you about who went to drug and um, went to a rehabilitation center, she came to know the Lord. She came to know the Lord. Her children came to know the Lord, and they were all baptized. And now they're part of a thriving church community, all because of a host family saying yes to taking care of her children in her darkest time and in her greatest need. So I believe that everyone here can do something. I believe that we have a clear distinction and distinctive from the Lord to take care of orphans and widows in their distress. And now you have a tangible way that you can do that. We have a way that we should live and we can open our homes to children to be part of the 98% and to really divert children from the foster care system and to open our homes with um, the love of Christ to these kids. So after the service today, I'm going to be in um, the main sanctuary, and we'll have just a Q&A. Um, by coming to that, you're not signing up. I want you to know that if you step through those doors, you're not becoming a host family. Um, would I like that? Yes, but you can just learn more about this ministry. Allie Ware has decided to take on the lead of um, the, the ministry lead, and I'm going to be able to work with her and to mobilize you guys to open your home um, to children. So come to the Q&A, uh, learn some more information about what it, actually, what it really means to host, what it means to be a friend or a champion. Um, and in there, um, if you want to hear my story, I'd love to share it with you. I can, I'll invite the band back up, too. Ray, you guys can cruise up. Yeah, Missy, before you go, um, I think uh, what I didn't realize when I first started getting involved with Safe Families, and what I didn't realize was um, there are 
families and their and I knew that I knew this much. I know there's lots of people living in their cars. There's lots of people living in parks. They have children. Here's what I didn't know. I didn't know if you show up to a hospital for an emergency, they won't let your kids stay with you. Um, if you decide to check yourself into rehab, that rehab facility says, go put your kids somewhere you, they, you can't bring them with you. So what do you do in that situation? Well, the worst case scenario is those kids are taken from the parent. They're put into the foster care system and it's really hard to retrieve those kids back out. That process takes a long time. And the greatest indicator of, or one of the greatest indicators for success of a child is that they maintain, in, they maintain or they stay with their blood parents, their actual parents. So what Safe Families does, instead of a, um, an intervention method like, like foster care, it's a prevention method to keep a family, keep a mom from losing custody of her own children and keeping them unified as a family so they can get the help they need. That's what we do when we step in to host, is we hopefully maintain connection and love inside of a family. Is there anything you would add to that? Yeah, so we uh, believe that Safe Families for Children is prevention. Um, like Tim mentioned, um, Olive Crest, one of our programs is fostering. And so just some like really big statistics, 60% uh, of children who are in the foster care system will become incarcerated. Um, in LA, they believe that 80% of those that are currently incarcerated have been through um, the child welfare system. Those that age out of the foster care system, um, within the first year, 60% will become homeless as well. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to go upstream. We're trying to go upstream and we're trying to break um, the cycles of trauma and the cycles of isolation with safe families for children and, in, and prevent them having to continue down that stream into foster care. Um, and so, and like Tim mentioned, we have um, data that shows that um, if children can stay with their bio parents, they're going to have the best measure of success um, for their lives. And so by relieving families, um, by giving p parents, moms, dads, the time that they need to work a system um, or to secure uh, a home, um, we believe that we're stepping in so that when they're able, when they have two feet on the ground, um, their children can be reunified because we really believe in family preservation. So, yes, Tim. Thanks, guys. Hey, man, how about you guys stand with us? Something uh, Pastor Tim mentioned during this study really stuck out to me was uh, service. Someone mentioned service uh, when speaking of fellowship. And uh, what was that? You got that, Manuel? And uh, one thing God's really stirring up in this church in particular is service. You know, and, and a practical way of serving the Lord. You know, people get here. Uh, uh, someone mentioned the other day, I noticed the flowers were, were kind of needing some water. So they took on that ministry. It's like, I'm just going to be there to, to water the flowers. Uh, we had an awesome crew step up this morning while the, the, the youth were at the retreat to come set up the tents. You know, it doesn't just happen overnight. People get here at 630 in the morning 
and there's practical ways to serve in the body of Christ and uh, save families is a great practical way just to be the body of Christ and the and you know some are some are meant to be the feet some of the hands but uh, to work as a body of Christ has been something beautiful to, to see unfold here um, Lord we just invite you to, to to move in us in and through us God stir up a hunger in our hearts for service Lord we know that uh, you did not come here to be served, God, but to serve. And, Lord, you gave us that example. So, God, stir up a hunger in our hearts for that service, that servant's heart to be, to be the hands and feet of, of uh, the Lord Jesus Christ himself and, and to serve his body. 